man, it got me. It got me again. Watched that video last service too, and it got me. Jeez, man, I love stories of salvation. Um, man, aren't those beautiful? Yeah. God is on the move in our midst. And today we're going to be talking about salvation. As we close out our countercultural conviction series, we'll be looking at the beauty of salvation today. If you don't know me, my name is John Crawford. I'm one of the pastors here, and I am really excited that I get to preach on this. Not just because we get to look at the beauty of salvation, but I have been waiting a long time to preach this sermon. Two years, two years to preach this sermon. Back in 2020 BC, that's before COVID, uh, I was supposed to preach this. And uh, COVID broke out in the middle of our countercultural conviction series. I was super excited and it got delayed until today. So I'm excited to be with you all this morning. Well, a few years ago, a buddy of mine named Jay took the day off of work so that he could go hiking in the superstitions. So he left his house. He told his wife, he said, honey, I will be done in the afternoon and I will pick up the kids today from school. And so with that, he made his trek out to the superstitions and started out on the trail. He had his bottle of water. He had his iPhone and he was ready to go. There was one problem though. As Jay was hiking after a couple hours, he had been paying way more attention to the surroundings in the superstitions than he had the trail. A couple hours into his hike, he realized that he had gotten off of the trail. But a second problem was he didn't know when he got off the trail. He didn't know where he got off of the trail. And so he did what any of us would do. And he's like, okay, well, I'm going to start backtracking. So he was trying to retrace his steps, but he was so deep into the superstitions that he walked a few miles back to try to find the trail, but the sun was beating down on him by this time. He was running low on water, and he began to get disoriented. He didn't know where the trail was. And so as he's in the superstitions, as the sun's beating down on him, he begins to drink the last of his water in his water jug. And with that, he does what any of us would do. He's like, okay, I have no water. I don't know where the trail is. I've got my phone. I'm going to call someone. He's in the middle of the superstitions. There's no service. So then he does what the rest of us would do. If our phones didn't work, he started screaming as loud as he could, that someone might hear him. But he's in the middle of the superstitions, and there's no one nearby. And so with no water left, Jay is in trouble. Several hours pass. His kids get out of school. Jay is nowhere to be found. The school calls his wife, and she knows that something's gone wrong. And so she does. What any wife would do in that situation, she's like, I'll call my husband. No service. So she calls for search and rescue. But there's another problem. She has no idea which trail he was hiking in the superstitions. And the superstitions are massive, right? 
So search and rescue says, well, what trail is he on? I have no idea. So they set out to try to locate his vehicle, try to find his car. And they're able to find his car in a parking lot, but this parking lot connects to multiple trails. So it doesn't help him all that much. And by this time, it's getting dark. And so as night falls, Jay is in the desert, lost with no water. He has become so dehydrated that he can't stand up. He can barely move. And so he does the only thing that he knows how to, and that's to lay down on the side of a mountain. And as he lays on the side of that mountain, he begins to come to the real reality that when he said goodbye to his wife and sent his kids to school that morning, that was the last time that he would see his wife and kids. That he came to terms with the reality that he was going to die in the superstitions. And as he laid there crying with hardly any tears because of the dehydration, his only hope was that someone would find him, that someone would rescue him. You are like Jay. You need to be rescued. But we live in a society that says you can save yourself or you can go out and find God. And this is the countercultural thing about salvation. God comes to find you and he does all of the work in saving you. Today, we're going to look at one of the parables of Jesus in the gospel of Luke, in Luke chapter 15, the parable of the lost sheep, because Jesus paints a beautiful picture of salvation in this parable for us. And so grab your Bibles or your phone app. We're going to look at Luke 15, starting in verse 4. To set the context here, Jesus tells this parable to some religious leaders. Pharisees and scribes, because he has gone out and pursued sinners and, the, and tax collectors who were the most despised in society at that time. And so the Pharisees are very upset. And so Jesus tells them this parable. He says, what man of you having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine? in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it. In our culture, you have heard it said, just because my path is different doesn't mean I'm lost. But Jesus says to you, you're off of the path and you need me to come find you because salvation is not about us going out to try to find God. It's about God coming to find you. And so in this parable, we see that there's a shepherd who has a hundred sheep, but one of them has gotten lost. What you don't see here is that lost sheep looking for the shepherd, right? The shepherd is looking for the lost sheep. He goes to find the one. But why would a shepherd who has a hundred sheep leave 99 perfectly good ones to go pursue one that is lost? This seems absurd. 
it seems like an absurd risk of losing your 99 sheep because upon leaving them, they are now vulnerable to attacks of wolves and robbers. And so for the shepherd to do this, this seems absurd, especially because economically, his livelihood, he was fine. He had 99 perfectly good sheep, right? If you miss one on a test and get a 99, that's pretty good. That's still like an A plus, right? He didn't need this one sheep. As my good friend Josh Butler says in his book, The Pursuing God, he calls this bad economics on the shepherd's part. It's bad economics because the shepherd's willing to risk his entire livelihood to go search for this one lost sheep. It doesn't seem to make sense. What makes more sense is if the shepherd says, you know what, I'm cutting my ties. This sheep wandered off. He was a fool. He got lost. And so, you know what, you can just die out there on your own, right? That's what makes more sense. But that's not what the shepherd does here. The shepherd believes that it's worth the risk. Why? Because he loves the sheep. The lost sheep is loved. You are the sheep. Jesus is the shepherd. But here's the thing we need to understand about sheep. When sheep wander, when they get lost, they get totally disoriented and they will never find their way back. This is why it's so dangerous for a sheep to get lost. They need to be found. They need to be rescued. And this is what sin does to every one of us. Sin disorients our being. Sin disorients us. It disorients our vision, how we see and what we see. Sin disorients our minds, what we think and how we think. Our emotions, what we feel, how we feel, and our hearts. Sin disorients our affections and what we love. Sin disorients the totality of who we are. And because of this, apart from Jesus intervening in our lives, you and I only know one way. We only know one path, and that is the way of sin that always leads to death. You are lost and need to be found. Otherwise, you are helpless and hopeless like Jay in the desert. But our society loves self-empowerment. We love the power of positivity. We love self-sufficiency. And you can find tens of thousands of books, of podcasts, of blogs, of memes, of social media influencers who are telling you to believe in the power within yourself. Not all of these things are bad, but hear me, they are absolutely insufficient to rescue you. As Jay lay in the desert, lost and dying, as he puts on the podcast that tells him, just because your path is different doesn't mean you are lost. What hope is that for him? It's actually disgusting to tell a lost, dying man that you're not actually lost. This is your own path. 
It's disgusting and it's utterly insufficient and it leads to death. You need Jesus to come find you. And it is him who reorients you towards true north. He reorients you towards life with him. Reorients you into his presence, onto his path, under his protection as your shepherd. As Jay laid in the desert. It's the middle of the night. He begins to hear helicopters in the distance. And then he looks, he turns his head the little bit that he can And he sees that there are two helicopters with searchlights that are searching the superstition, scouring the mountains. And he knows that search and rescue is coming for him. And so he does what any of us would do. He gets his first glimmer of hope and he starts screaming with the little bit of energy he has left. But of course, they can't hear him because they're on helicopters. And so the only thing that Jay can do as he lays there is hope that one of these helicopters will shine a light on him. But he knows that's nearly impossible in the superstitions. It's like finding a needle in a haystack. And so he lays there and he sees these helicopters just flying over the mountains, over and over, circling. And after quite a while, he realizes the search is up. It's time for them to go back home. And so he watches one of these helicopters turn around and fly in the other direction. The glimmer of hope gets put out. He's got one last hope, and that's this second helicopter. And he sees that it's headed back in as well. And it circles around the superstition only to fly right over Jay. But it doesn't just fly over him. The spotlight hits him. Where he had been laying in the dark, he's now in the light. And he starts waving his hands, the little bit of strength that he has left, and they see him. And the helicopter descends. Rescue has come. Jesus continues this parable in verse 5, and he says, And when the shepherd has found it, the sheep He lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. In our culture, you have heard it said, rely on your own strength. But Jesus says to you, rely on me and my strength to carry you home. Because salvation is all by God's grace from start to finish. So here we see rescue that the shepherd finds the sheep. And what does he do? He runs over to it. He picks it up. He lays it on his shoulder. He begins rejoicing because the sheep that he loves, that he thought he would never see again, he now has. And so he feels delight. The shepherd feels joy. You might expect him to react differently. But the shepherd doesn't go to the sheep and yell at it. He doesn't start yelling at the sheep for, oh, you fool, you wayward sheep. He doesn't give the sheep a lecture like the sheep probably deserves. He doesn't punish the sheep. He doesn't take his shepherd's staff and start beating the sheep. That's not what we see. Instead, we see the shepherd joyfully picks up the sheep, holds it tenderly, 
looks over its body to see if it's been wounded and then begins to pull out the thorns out of its wool and then puts it up on his shoulders, gladly taking the burden of the sheep onto himself. Salvation is all God's grace. From the searching to the rescuing to the returning, salvation is all by God's grace. And this is good news. This is the good news of salvation. You don't have to earn God's love. You saw the salvation story with Gwen. She lived her whole life trying to earn God's love. This is the good news of salvation. You don't have to earn it. That God loves you and he pursues you because he loves you. This means that you don't have to clean yourself up for God. You don't have to straighten out your life. You don't have to fix yourself, whatever that even means. You don't have to fix yourself for God or jump through a bunch of religious hoops in order to receive the saving power of Jesus. You don't need to. He comes for you in the midst of all of your sinfulness. He comes for you in the midst of all of your brokenness. He comes for you in the midst of all of your neediness. This is the scandalous nature of grace. This is the very reason why Jesus tells the parable to begin with. Because he has gone out to find and pursue sinners and tax collectors to be with them. And now the Pharisees and scribes are upset, grumbling. And so Jesus tells them this parable. See, this is the beauty of Jesus. This is the beauty of grace. That when you are lost, when you are at your worst, when you are on a path that is only headed towards death. Jesus launches the search and rescue mission so that you would not experience death, but you could experience life instead. Jesus tells us about this rescue here in the parable. What I love is that it's not just God's grace that comes to find you, but it's also his grace that carries you home. When the shepherd finds the sheep, what he doesn't say is, okay, I found you. Now, dust yourself off, get yourself up, here's a map, and you can walk your way back, right? That's not what's, that's not what's going on here. That's not what the shepherd does. No, not at all. And that is because salvation is not God giving you a little bit of help so that you can save yourself. Salvation is not God giving you a little bit of good advice so that you can save yourself. He picks up the sheep. He rescues it. He carries it on his shoulders home. He does all of the work in saving the sheep in order to guarantee that its life would be saved. You think about the helicopter that found Jay. The helicopter didn't shine its searchlight down on Jay. And then as he's on the ground, they're up in the air with a megaphone saying, all right, Jay, follow the light, stand up. We'll show you the way and hike your way back to the car. No, he would have died, right? He needed to be rescued. He literally needed to be airlifted out of the superstitions so that he would live. God delights in you. God delights being with you. 
And what we see here is that he goes to extreme lengths in order to save you. In the ancient Near East, it was normal that shepherds would carry sheep on their shoulders if they were going on a long journey. Jesus knows this. His original hearers that he's telling the parable to would have understood this. And so what Jesus is implying in this parable by the shepherd putting the sheep on its shoulders is that this lost sheep has wandered a very far way off, that it's gone a long ways away. Some of you are here today and you have wandered far away from God. And you may even be sitting with a guilt because it's like, man, I've gone so far from God. I don't even know how I could have done that. This is the good news for you this morning. You can never wander too far for Jesus. You can never wander too far for Jesus. And his grace always goes farther than you're wandering. So as you hear this parable of this sheep that's lost, what do you think this sheep looks like? Do you imagine this lost sheep? I think for many of us, we think that the sheep probably looks something like this, right? A cute little lamb needs to be rescued. It's vulnerable, innocent, weak. And here's the thing. That sheep needs to be rescued. But maybe this sheep actually looks something more like this. That's a crazy looking sheep, right? True story, though. This sheep is far bigger than it should be because it got lost. 89 pounds of wool upon the shepherd finding this sheep. This sheep had gotten so overgrown with wool, the 89 pounds made it unable to move. This sheep was going to die when its, when its shepherd found it. And upon finding it, they sheared off 89 pounds of wool. This sheep needs to be rescued. But maybe this sheep might look something like this. Attacked, wounded, and left for dead. That's gnarly. Um, this sheep clearly needs to be rescued. All three of these sheep need to be rescued. My question for you this morning is, which one of these sheep are you? Which one of these three sheep do you identify with most? So I think naturally a lot of us were like, oh, I'm the first one, right? I'm the, I'm the cute little lamb. I'm vulnerable. I'm weak. I need to be rescued, right? That's my default. But I think many of you are a lot more like the burdened and the wounded, the second and third sheeps. Some of you are here today and you're feeling that weight. You're feeling a heavy burden, like the 89 pounds on your shoulders and on your back. It's a weight for the things that you've done, for sins that you have committed, that you are feeling a weight and a shame. You're living with regret. You're wishing that you could undo things and you're carrying a heavy weight and burden on you today. Jesus has come to rescue you today. And just like the shepherd that found that heavy burdened sheep, 
Jesus wants to remove the 89 pounds of weight and shame and burden off of you today so that you can experience freedom in Christ. Some of you are wounded like the third sheep. That you have pain in your life, a part of your story, and it hurts so deep that you have been trying to numb the pain with anything and everything, looking to things that would fix the brokenness, that would make the pain go away, but it's left you feeling hopeless and helpless. Jesus has come to rescue you today. He wants to pick you up in spite of your wounds. He wants to carry you home so that you can experience his healing power in salvation today. One of the things I love hearing, um, a lot of times people that are opposed to Christianity following Jesus, they'll throw out this, ah, God's just a crutch, right? Any of you guys heard that? Yeah, God's just a crutch. But here's the thing. God is not a crutch. He's a stretcher. Because you don't, you don't need just a little bit of help. You need to be rescued. After Jay was rescued, he got medical treatment. And then he got to go home. He got to see his wife and his kids and hold them and hug them. It was this homecoming, this beautiful thing that thought my husband was gone. I thought I would never see dad again and already preparing those conversations, but he's here, he's alive. And so they celebrated. Jesus continues the parable and says, and when he comes home, when the shepherd comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, I have found my sheep that was lost. In our culture, you have heard it said, Life with God is a prison, so you do you. But Jesus says to you, I'm bringing you home to a party so you can be with me. Salvation is about coming home to a party. See, it's common in our society to view life with God as a prison. It's almost as if God is some kind of killjoy, right? He prevents you from living. He prevents you from being yourself or becoming your truest self. And therefore, God prevents you from experiencing joy in life. But what I love about this parable is that Jesus shows us that life with him is not a prison. It is a party. It is a life that is filled with joy, filled with celebration, with community, that there's a gathering together and celebrating, that it's a picture of restoration of life, that a life has been saved. This is life with Jesus. This is the very reason why the psalmist can say, God, in your presence is the fullness of joy. The psalmist doesn't say, God, in your presence is the restriction of joy. Right? The psalmist gets it right. Our society gets it wrong. There is joy in God's presence. Life with Jesus is a life of joy. And the picture that Jesus gives us in this parable is that heaven is having a party when a lost sheep is rescued. 
Heaven is having a party when a lost sheep is rescued because heaven shares God's joy over the rescue of the lost. It means when someone experiences the saving power of Jesus, there is a party going on in heaven. And this gives us a glimpse of God's kingdom, of what it looks like and what it will be like one day. When Jesus comes back and heaven and earth are reconciled, there will be a party that fills the entire earth. Life with Jesus is not a prison, it's a party of joy and of celebration. You think about Jay, it would have been absurd if Jay came home to his family, lost and dying, and his family was just like, hey, what's up? Or even better, if his wife was like, hey, you're late, right? It would be absurd if they acted like nothing happened. He was going to die and his life was saved. And so what did they do? Well, they did what was fitting, what was appropriate. They had a party. They had the whole family. They celebrated. They thought dad was gone. Husband was gone. They're already preparing for the worst. But they celebrated because his life was saved. And this is the picture that Jesus gives us. It's celebration over salvation. See, even though I've never been laid out dying in the desert, um, thankfully, that hasn't been my story, um, I can relate to this. Because I grew up around the church, and I got a very bad taste in my mouth, bad taste of Christianity. And so at age 16, as soon as I could get my driver's license, my parents were here last service, so I didn't want to air all my, all my stuff to them, you know? Uh, but... Uh, as soon as I got my driver's license, it was so bad that we used to, my buddies and I would be like, hey, yeah, we're going to check out this new church. Nope. We went to Mill Avenue and we were hanging out. We got brunch and uh, I didn't want anything to do with Christianity. I didn't like Christians. I didn't like the church. I thought Christians were a bunch of cheesy cheese balls, didn't understand life, real world, all of that. And it's just like, man, I don't want anything to do with this. And I viewed life with God as a prison. And so what did I do? Well, from age 16 to 22, for six years, I did whatever I wanted. I was living you do you before it was a trendy cultural mantra, right? I was doing me. And I looked for joy and freedom in everything except for God, which is all of the wrong places, right? It was all of the wrong places. And after years of doing that, I became Depressed for the first time, isolated. I felt empty. I felt a deep void because nothing was ever delivering. And what I found experientially from the life that I was living is that life without God is actually the prison because sin always overpromises and underdelivers. Sin always overpromises and underdelivers and it traps you like a prisoner. But God. Some of the most beautiful passages in scripture, but God, but God in his grace in my life, God pursued me when I was pursuing everything else except for him. I was not looking for God, but he was looking for me and he rescued me. Not everybody has a moment, right? Oh, what was your salvation moment? Not everybody has that. I do have that. I remember the moment. I remember experiencing salvation. I remember where I was sitting in the sanctuary. I remember the sermon, the illustrations, what what the pastor was saying. I remember the time of year. 
And the reason why I remember it so vividly is because it was the first time that I had truly experienced the freedom and joy that only Jesus could bring. That it came over me. And I felt it and it was like, oh my gosh, this is what I've been looking for. It was the first time that I felt the satisfaction of my deepest longings. Jesus is the only one who can satisfy your deepest longings and he brings you home to a party. The question for you this morning is, do you want to come home to the party? Do you want to come home to the party? Because some of you are lost in the superstitions of our culture, of the memes, of the mantras, of believing that you can save yourself, but you don't have to. You don't have to get yourself out. Jesus has come to rescue you today. Today is the day of salvation. But here's the thing about search and rescue missions. They come at an astronomical cost. Search and rescue missions come at an astronomical cost because of the helicopters, because of the search teams. And there was an astronomical cost for Jesus to rescue you. He exchanged his life for yours. He willingly went to the cross outside of the city where he became isolated, where he became physically weak, where he became dehydrated and thirsty. And he could have called all of the helicopters in the world to come save him, but he didn't. Because Jesus carried your sin to the cross. He suffered and he died so that you could live. And it is by his wounds that you are healed. Amen. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you. You are the God who searches and rescues. You are the God who loves salvation. You love saving your lost sheep. Jesus, when we are not looking for you, you are looking for us. And we thank you for the beauty of this parable that you tell. And Jesus, I want to pray that your spirit would be moving and speaking and working, convicting, drawing people to yourself. Jesus, for, for the, the person who's here this morning, who's been coming and they're skeptical and they have questions, but Jesus, there's a desire for them to know you deeper. There's a desire for you. Jesus, I pray that they would know that the only reason why they have that desire is because you've already been pursuing them. Jesus, I pray that today would be the day of salvation for them. Lord, I pray for the person who's here, who has wandered, who's wandered far away, who's been around the church, who maybe grew up in it, Oh, Lord, they have been living life apart from you. Jesus, I pray that today would be the day of homecoming for them, that they would come home to the party, that they would experience the joy of your salvation. And Jesus, I pray for every single one of us that we would never tire of hearing about the good news of salvation. Jesus, that it would nourish us, that it would be food for our soul, that it would nourish our hearts, that we would live lives that are fully devoted to you because of what you have done. 
Lord, we're here gathered only because of your grace and your pursuit and your salvation. And so, Jesus, we devote this time to you. Amen. So now we're going to respond to the good news of salvation. And we're going to sing. We're going to sing to our God for the beauty of his grace. There's also people on both sides who would love to pray with you and pray for you. And if you have a stirring, if you have even a desire for God to know him deeper, know that that's because God has been seeking you and he has found you today. And I want to, and I want to encourage you to pray and ask God for that. And we want to celebrate. We're a community of celebration. It's a picture of the kingdom. And so we've got people who would love to pray with you and for you. If you're feeling a stirring, a desire for Jesus, we'd love to pray with you. If you need prayer for anything else, if you're suffering, please come pray with us. We want to pray with you. And then we respond by taking communion because these elements represent the way that salvation is accomplished. That the bread represents Christ's body that was freely given for us. And the wine or the juice represents his blood that was shed for us. And so I want to invite you to take communion whenever you feel ready. If you're a follower of Jesus to do that over the next three songs, take your time. But I want to encourage you as you take communion, do it with a heart and a posture of celebration this morning. Amen.